Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. We're continuing in a series on how the Lord restores our soul. Usually by the time we get to summertime, we're all in need of a bit of R&R, is that right? After, especially teachers after the school year, they're out and kids are out. So summertime, we're all thinking about having our soul restored. If you would stand with me to hear and to read the reading of God's Word this morning. From Psalm 23, I will read the whole psalm, and then we'll be reading from Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the reading from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. You may be seated. Well, this is my second time to be before you, and I really deeply appreciate um, being able to preach and to bring God's Word to you. We're in a summer series entitled, He Restores My Soul, and I've been given the task of actually preaching on that very sentence in the psalm. He restores my soul. He, Yahweh, God, the shepherd, restores to return something or someone to a former condition or place or a position, perhaps in David's condition, having been exiled and thrust out of Jerusalem, 
If you remember that a couple of weeks ago when we began the series, that's the situation that we think David is in. He's lost wives. He's lost a son. A son has rebelled against him and taken over his kingdom. Uh, Things are not looking good for David. But through everything that happens in his life, whether it's through his own sinful actions, which actually was probably the start of all of this, through being on the rooftop one day and eyeing Bathsheba, taking a bath, and he lusted after her. But he was probably there because he was full of pride. He was resting from going out to battle with all of his generals and with his soldiers, and he stayed in Jerusalem, probably not different to Nebuchadnezzar, who one day was on the rooftops of all of Babylon and overlooked Babylon and said, isn't this everything that I have created? And it wasn't. Though Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, Gentile king, he was still God's servant, the Bible says. And God had given him everything that he had, even the power to discipline his own people, Israel. And I think David probably had some of the touch of Nebuchadnezzar about him. But what do we get to here? In spite of all of David's troubles, he's still able to say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Even in spite of my sin and the whole of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, if you wanted a purpose statement for those two books, everyone could have seen that David had fallen and had fallen into sin. But those, the theme of those two books, is in spite of David's failings, it was still God's plan to use him as the father of our great shepherd and savior, Jesus Christ. He's still my anointed one. But what do we mean, he restores my soul? David, being a shepherd, we have to return to husbandry. Has anybody ever looked after any sheep at all, any contact with sheep? Yep, we are definitely city slickers, aren't we? (laughs) I am fortunate, like I said in the first sermon, I actually have had some experience with sheep. And so when I was reading a commentary on this about sheep being cast down, I recognize that. I have seen a cast sheep. Because this is what the psalmist is talking about. A cast sheep that needs to be restored. That is, to be put back on its feet. Most shepherds have to go out every day to see their sheep. And one of the reasons why they do that is because at certain times of the year, it can be very, very dangerous for a sheep. They can get very, very fat on fresh uh, spring grass, so they can get on their backs, kind of roll over, lose their center of gravity, and the next thing they know, all you'll see is a sheep on its back with its legs flailing up in the air. That is a cast sheep. They can have great big fleeces of wool. That can lead a sheep to be be cast. Or they can be heavily pregnant with lambs, and that can lead them to be cast. Or they can get into a little hollow somewhere, and they can move over and roll over. And the next thing you know, there they go again, the legs up in the air. 
And within several hours, they can either twist their gut or the um, enzymes in the, in the gases start to rise in their um, stomachs. And as those gases rise, it will slowly kill the animal. And only takes several hours. The picture here of a sheep needing to be restored is the picture that David had probably seen multiple times of sheep that he had had to grab. And the way you do it, it is explained. I actually looked on the internet yesterday to to look at this. You actually have to get over the sheep and not be afraid, even a big fat sheep. You have to grab it by the fleece and you have to pull it right up because it won't pull itself up, tip it over, pull it up, and if you can, hang on to it. Because if you don't hang on to it, what will happen is it will walk off and it will fall straight back over again. So you have to hang on to it, maybe rub its legs a little bit. The circulation will come, start to come back in the sheep's legs. And it will actually trust you. A lot of sheep won't walk away. They'll just stand there and then you'll know that they're well again because they'll probably take a few nibbles of some grass and before you know where you're at it, they don't even know you're there and they're back and happy, back to grazing. But what is this picture? But a picture of helplessness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. When I was in a place of utter helplessness and in need, it was my shepherd, it was my God that helped me. Maybe this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But don't you, and I know I do, have a trouble with expressing helplessness and need? What keeps us from being able to accept this picture of a helpless sheep on its back, flailing its legs in the air. I believe it is pride. We don't like to admit that we have pride. We don't even like to admit that we're helpless and our pride kicks in and we say to ourselves, I can do this. I can work this thing out on my own. C.S. Lewis says this, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. Can you agree with that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't you keep your distance from people who are proud? They're not safe to be around. And of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. Lewis goes on to say, The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. And pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. 
That's some pretty heavy writing, isn't it? <laughs> That's from Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. A few weeks ago, my son, who's in uh, Tallahassee, he's at FSU, he sent me something. He said, Dad, you might like this. And it was a song by J. Cole. Anybody here to J. Cole? I have. One of my favorite songs by him is uh, Love Yours. He says this, pride is the devil. Think it got a hold on me. Pride is the devil. It left so many R.I.P. Pride is the devil. Think it got a hold on me. Pride is the devil, yeah. Terrified, paranoid. I'll put you over everything to fill the void. And when you're gone, will I have anything or will I be destroyed? Terrified, paranoid. I'll put you over everything to fill the void. And when you're gone, will I have anything or will I be destroyed? destroyed. Bright lights pass me in the city. It's emergency. I'm thankful because I made it past my 30s. No one murdered me. Still remember vividly the guy that pulled a gun on me. I'm petrified but moving like I got no sense of urgency. Pride make a man act way harder than he really be. Pride hide the shame when city cut off all the utilities. Pride hide the pain of growing up inhaling poverty. Pride make a man feel the way that you would follow me. Make a man flash a thousand like he hit the lottery. Make your baby mama make things harder than it gotta be. Make you have to take your ex to court to see your prodigy. Make you have to use your last resort and pull a robbery. Got uncles and some aunties. That's too proud. He doesn't say it like that, aunties. That's too proud to give apologies. I love that line. I'm in jail each and every day for people who have never often heard an apology in their life. Slowly realizing what the root of all my problems be, it got me feeling different when somebody say they're proud of me. Pride is the devil. I think it got a hold on me. J. Cole How did God deal with David? How did God deal with us? How does God deal with anybody that's helpless? That's the picture of the Bible, flailing with their legs in the air. What does God do? How does God restore our soul? And all I want to do briefly this morning is to outline three areas in which God restores us. First of all, God restores our soul by regeneration. The new birth. You've heard that before. Simple gospel theology. God restores us also by sanctifying us, breaking the power of sin in our lives. And God restores us, instead of a bad family, to a new family. In the family of God, he restores us in our relationships and brings people into our lives that can speak to us and challenge us, and lead us in a new way of living. But first of all, how does God restore us? Helpless sinners are set on their feet by regeneration. This is the big theological word. To be regenerate means to be born again, or to be born from above. It's when God's Holy Spirit reconnects you to God himself by the new work of the Holy Spirit within your heart. John's gospel talks about this. John chapter 3, 
verse 3. Nicodemus and Jesus, a religious uh, scholar, proud of his heritage, meets Jesus by night because he's interested in what Jesus has to say. And he says, basically, how can I be one of your followers? How can I be like you? You're so much more righteous than I am. I'm kind of doing a, a paraphrase here. I keep all the law, but you don't seem to keep the law. You just seem to do things naturally. And Jesus basically replies to him, listen, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. All your religiosity won't work before God. What you need is a new connection with God through my Holy Spirit. You've got to be born from above. There's a natural birth from your mother, and then there's a spiritual birth that comes through the Holy Spirit reigniting your heart. The Old Testament calls it this, I will remove from you a heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. A stony heart can't respond to God, but a fleshy, soft heart can respond to God. God restores us first and foremost through giving us His Holy Spirit. We don't have the Holy Spirit when we don't know Him. And God has to give us His Spirit. That's how He restores us. He gives us His Spirit. And there's a consequence to that. What happens when God gives you His Holy Spirit? You will suddenly realize that you are a sinner and out of favor with God, that you are justly deserving of His punishment of him sending you to hell, and God would be just and right in doing so. But when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, suddenly you are made aware of your sinful condition. And what will happen next is, is that the Holy Spirit will show you Jesus. He will say, there is an answer for your sinful condition, and that is Jesus Christ crucified. And in repentance, a consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 15, verse 21, the youngest son, he suddenly realizes that it's better in his father's house than feeding pigs. Says to himself, I will arise and go back to my father and I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He begins to confess he repents. It's not a great repentance, but it's still the goodness that he remembers about his dad drives him home. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God whereby he fills us with his Holy Spirit and that drives us to be repentant and to go home. And in another great word from the Bible, we become converted. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter in Jerusalem was preaching to thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem, by the time he was finished, they were pricked in their hearts and they suddenly exclaimed, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter told them, repent and believe the gospel. For this promise is to you and to all your children and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And over 3,000 people repented that day and were brought into the church through the sign of baptism and were converted. 
That is the first, and I would say the primary way. It is the most deeply biblical way in which God restores us to relationship with himself. Can I hear an amen on that? You can never know in any uh, audience whether you've actually experienced that. But do you know that you know that you know that Jesus has set your heart aflame? Or as when John Wesley was hearing the preface to um, Martin Luther's commentary on the Galatians, he said it like this, very phlegmatic Englishman, my heart was strangely warmed. That was his conversion experience. As he heard Martin Luther explain the gospel in the preface to his commentary on Galatians. John Wesley, who had been a Church of England minister for years, was not converted. Did you hear that? He was a legalist. He thought that through his good works and through his efforts at trying to be holy, praying and reading the Bible, that that would save him. But Martin Luther's preface told him, surely that's not the way to God. You must be born again. You must be justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is the way the Lord restores our soul. We become alive to him. Secondly, helpless Christians or sheep are set on their feet by the work of sanctification. First of all, God comes in and he fills with his Holy Spirit. He justifies us, which is a once-for-all declaration by God that you are in a new position, a new relationship with him. But that justification doesn't come alone. It comes with a new power by the Holy Spirit, which is a more of a progressive act, sanctification, how God restores us, not just our position, but God restores us from the inside out. How God comes along and with the Holy Spirit now gives you the ability and the power to break the power of sin in your life. Things that you couldn't say no to before, suddenly you find yourself being able to say no to them. And you go, wow, how was I able to do that? Whether it be an addiction any kind of sin, God gives us the power. We get a hint of where David is going with this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Am I treading on your passage? Yes, sir. Yep, for next week. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's sanctification. He begins to lead you in paths of righteousness. You begin to develop a moral character. And you can't just say that I got this moral character in and of myself. I wasn't born again by myself. He restores my soul. And neither was the power of sin destroyed by my own efforts. A new power is operating within me. If you want to see this most illustrated, I'm kind of giving you an, a, kind of like a flyover of all the big picture of the scripture. It's very typical of pastors that don't get to preach very often. Right? They tell the whole of theology in one sermon. But if you want to know how God restores you from the inside out, then go to Paul's letter to the Roman Christians in Rome, and especially 
uh, chapters 6 through 8. The book of Romans can be understood as a theme of five S's. Sin, Paul talks about sin, then salvation, how we are saved from sin, and then he deals with sanctification, how we are saved from the power of sin in our lives. Then Paul deals with sovereignty, and then he deals with service, how everything that he's talked to, and until you get to chapter 12, he then begins to outline what that looks like in our lives, how Everything that he said empowers us to serve God and to serve others. God sets us on our feet by restoring us to himself through regeneration. God sets us on our feet by restoring to us the ability to be able to walk in paths of righteousness. Psalm 19 says this, Verse 7, the Lord of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. People that have been revived by the Lord, people that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, people that have come to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to be revived and their moral character changes and they follow Jesus. And they get to know God's word and God's law. And they begin to live by it. And thirdly, we are set on our feet as God heals us. We are not only sinners in that we sin, but often we are sinned against. Are we not? What I'm describing to you is very much uh, an up and down Dale kind of uh, life with the Lord. You can see that in David's life. You can know that from your own life, depending on how long you've lived and walked and followed the Lord. But we are also restored by God's healing of us. Helpless sheep are set on their feet, are they not? By preachers and God's word. Let me go to Galatians 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. God restores us himself through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He restores us himself through empowering us to be able to say no to sinful proclivities and selfishness in our lives. And God restores us to himself by healing us. And one of the main avenues of healing us is through people. He uses his people. Don't we love listening to David? I know I miss him. And the way he brings the word to us. David is like a metronome. I've been in this church from the get-go. And with our pastor Willie, they bring the word each week. And they serve us, and they teach us, and they feed us God's word. They are our shepherds, and we have elders, and as the passage says, spiritual leaders. We are counsel- there are counselors. I am a counselor. I have people coming into my office every day, and I counsel them. I sit them down. Many of them are Christians already, but very often... They come to a place in their life, maybe they're married and their marriage, 
They're beginning to see in their marriage that they're far more selfish than they thought they were. Or they begin to have children, and when their children get to the age of three or four, or an age where they recognize when they may have been abused in their lives or suffered some trauma, the next thing you know, they're knocking on the door or calling you and saying, can I come in? I've got some things to share. And what you're doing as a counselor is giving these folks a time to be able to tell things that they've never told anybody in their lives before. Things that have happened to them, the way in which they've been hurt, and now they can see how that has developed a selfishness in their life that they want to deal with. And so either professional counselors or church counselors deal with these hurts. You can hear in J. Cole's um, poetry many of the wounds and the hurts in his own life. Preachers of the word of shepherds, elders and spiritual leaders of shepherds, counselors, shepherd people. God gives us that place to be able to do that work. It's us, but it's him through us that is healing people. Brothers and sisters in the Lord are able to do this. I often say to a lot of my clients, do you know why you have to pay me to love you? And they go, no, why? I said, because often good relationships don't exist. Sometimes we don't trust. People have been so hurt, so broken, they don't trust a soul in their lives. And so they go to a counselor, and they know that it's a safe environment, confidential environment. I can be sued. Loose lips sink ships. It is in that kind of environment that they get to learn to have hope. They begin to trust again where all their trust muscles have atrophied. They begin to trust you. And before you you know where they're at, they are beginning to experience life differently in all their other relationships. And then one day they come into the office and they say, you know what, this is getting a little bit too expensive every week. You think I'm ready? And I say, you know what? We've done a lot of hard work. I think you're ready. Give us another couple of weeks. I'll, we'll let you go. That sheep has been pulled up, set right. Their legs have been warmed, and they've been set on their way. I'll close with this. Have any of you heard of the Tour de France? One person. I think I need another illustration. Two. <laughs> I have been following the Tour de France this week avidly because there is a British rider who's come back to the Tour de France and he has won four stages. And all I simply want to do with this illustration, I've been watching him and I would say over the last four years has probably been the toughest of his life. I don't know whether he's a Christian. I think not at this stage in his life. But God is still good even to those who don't know him. God answers prayers for people who don't pray. And he got to join, it's a long story, but he got to join the tour this year in an old group of cyclists that he used to cycle with probably about seven, eight years ago. And before he knows where he's at, he's won four stages. And I've been watching all of this on YouTube. And every time he crosses the line in those four stages, all he does is cry like a baby, 
and go around all of his teammates thanking them for what they just did. Because what did they do? I don't know whether you know anything about cycling. And in the Tour de France, it's the hardest race in all the world. And there are alpine mountain stages that the climbers are good at. And then there are flat stages that people like Mark Cavendish are good at. And he'll usually cross the line first. But for him to be able to cross the line first, for him to be able to be a success and put his hands up in the air and say, yes, I did it, all throughout that stage... All of his teammates have been around him and they've been riding either beside him or in front of him, protecting him from the wind. See, he would have no legs left to sprint at the finals, at the end of the stage, without all of his teammates. He's had the world champion in his team and he said he has put his whole legs out on the road for me. And when you're coming up to near the end, there'll be a, they call it a line out, and there'll be three riders in front of you, and Mark will be right at the back, and one rider will drop off, then there's two, and another rider will drop off, and then the fastest rider that'll take you to be within about 100 meters of the line, and then suddenly he'll drop off, and Mark will sprint for the line. And four times he's gotten over the line before everybody else. Now, would it be appropriate for him to say, I did it, it was me. No. Something has happened to him in the last four years. He broke a collarbone. He's had a virus. He's not been doing very, very well. Someone dropped out of the race and he was slotted in. And he is just overjoyed with being able to ride again. He has been restored. It's kind of like a, a resurrection. But it's been done by the people that are around him. They have made him a success. There is a new humility. Gone has been all, gone has gone that youthful bravado. And in its place, it's just beautiful to see, is a guy that can barely speak, utterly humbled, and praising all the abilities of the people around him. I think that's a, just an incredible picture of what's going on in this psalm. David can't believe that God has restored him in spite of everything that he's done in his life. How about you? Have you been restored to God through being born again? Are you being restored through God's ability to give you a new power to be able to say no to old habits? And are you being restored by the, the quality of the relationships that are around you, whether it be a counselor, a pastor, a friend, a wife, that's challenging you and teaching you how to give up your selfishness and to walk in humility? That is how God restores us. St. Augustine said that the first rule of Christianity is humility. And the second one is humility. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in your son, Jesus Christ 
who when he sat at your right hand, having defeated all of his enemies and put them under his feet, gave gifts to men, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your word, and the gift of your word administered through your people to bring us to a place where we are clothed in our right mind and restored to our former glory. Well, thank you for all your goodness to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.